When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on hosting very different guests at the same time. Snoring on an overnight school trip, leaving and returning to a party, fraught family business matters, and whether or not you can have a cash bar at a memorial service. All that plus a postscript segment on condolences, coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute. I'm back home. Welcome home. Thank you. I also really, right off the bat, I want to thank all of our listeners who posted something on social media for me, both for my birthday, thank you so much, as well as I got so many offers of, if you let us know where you are, do you need restaurant recommendations, camping recommendations, everything. It was just like, I felt like I had people. In California. In California, where I don't typically have people. It was great. Well, and something kind of funny happened to you at a restaurant in California. Oh, my goodness. I totally forgot about this. So, yeah, Justin and I went on this trip. We were so excited to go camping for the first couple days. Van Morrison in San Francisco. You've heard all about it. We don't know what we're doing when we get there because the original camping place caught fire. And then (laughs) we didn't have any reservations for any other place. So we just had to see what we were going to do. And it was awesome. We wound up camping in the steep ravine area near Stinson Beach in California. It was beautiful, amazing. And we're like, okay, we got the tent set up. Let's just go get dinner. Like first place we see, let's go there. And we walk in. No beans on a campfire. No beans on a campfire this night. We were close enough to civilization and and we just hadn't prepared enough. We had camping gear, but not food. Anyway, so we we stop in cute little place. I think it was called the Sand Dollar or something like that. And we, we stop in and sit at the bar and it's it's cold and it's been raining and we look like two little drowned rats. Just Tell like, me there was a fire somewhere. Yeah, right? Like, please feed us. And sure enough, they did. But we're talking to the bartender and he says, where are y'all from? And we said, we're from Vermont. And the woman next to us goes, oh my gosh, I'm from Vermont. And Justin's sitting on my left and the woman's on his left. So I can't quite see her. And she leans forward. It's my friend, Holly. Like, I couldn't believe it. It was, we had no idea we were both going to be in the same area of California. And so it was really fun, really exciting to see her. I hadn't seen her in a while. And it was just one of those like, oh my gosh, things just keep starting to unfold perfectly in this tale of we don't know what's going to happen. And it was awesome. But that's not the end. It's not the end. 
So we're driving back to the campsite, you know, full bellies, happy, just can't believe our luck at running into good friends from far away. And sure enough, I get a text message from a number I haven't seen in a really long time. It is Miss Landra Isaacson, who is one of our former interns. And the text message reads, hey, Lizzie, it's Landrum. I hope you're doing really well. I'm just curious, do you happen to be in Stinson Beach, California? Because I'm at a restaurant and there was a woman here that looked just like you. <laughs> and sure enough, that was her. I wish she had said hi. I wish I had said hi in the moment. It was it was too far past and we weren't going to cross paths again. But I loved having that connection when you're far away from home. Knock me over with a feather. <laughs> I know. Landrum was from the south and came up to Vermont, spent a summer with us as an intern. And we um, haven't seen her since that internship, but definitely st- stayed somewhat connected. Stayed through social media, the miracles and wonders of social media and um, a great big hello and and hi, how you doing back to Landrum in case you're out there listening right now. It was so awesome. And the trip just kept unfolding that way. Uh, It was like we kept finding these beautiful spots and all these wonderful things. And it, it was just it was one of those great trips. And the etiquette of it. We were navigating really well together. You know, you just never know when you haven't traveled with someone what that's going to be like. On the road. On the road. And I mean, I get cranky when I'm tired and hungry. And, you know, he likes to feel confident in where he's going and or whatever it is. I mean, it just it was fun that we turned out to be good travel buddies for being two good buddies. We always say the test of your etiquette is when things don't go exactly smoothly or when you're in situations that are new, uncomfortable, maybe unfamiliar, and you you don't have all of your usual good habits to rely on. Oh, and it yeah, it was definitely, there were moments of tests, but I, I'd like to think that our friendship passed it. Well, welcome home. Thank and you. just I, I've, before we depart from our intro this morning, I have to mention this blizzard that we drove down in this morning. So there welcome back to Vermont. The snow is accumulating outside the studio as we speak. Winter is coming. Winter is here. I don't know. I love it, though. Me too. Shall we get to some questions? I like that idea. Let's do it. Your manners are showing. And it's good manners that make a good impression. On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call and leave a message at 802-866-0860. The holidays must be coming because Uh. our first question today is titled Thoughtful Thanksgiving Host. (laughs) Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have a question about entertaining during the holidays. My question has to do with Thanksgiving, but I'm sure others have probably run into similar issues during other holiday gatherings. This Thanksgiving, my husband and I will be hosting both my parents and his. Since both families live out of town, they will both be staying for the long weekend, Thursday through Sunday. My parents are staying with us and his parents are staying at a hotel. I'm in a bit of a panic because this is the only time our two families will have ever spent time together apart from our wedding three years ago. It wouldn't be a big deal, but our parents are complete opposites. Mine like to go out to museums, movies, sightseeing, etc., and his are more homebodies who prefer to sit around with a glass of wine and socialize. I am struggling to figure out how we are going to entertain and make the weekend an enjoyable experience for everyone with such different personality types. How do we keep his parents from feeling left out if we plan a sightseeing excursion they don't want to go on? Or my parents from feeling bored if all we're doing is sitting around, hanging out? 
Also, I'm worried about meal planning. When my parents come, we typically cook a huge Thanksgiving meal and feast on leftovers all weekend, while maybe going out once or twice. I know scooping food out of Tupperware and throwing it in the microwave all weekend isn't his parents' style. But I also don't want to go broke or get too stressed out trying to cook multiple big meals over the weekend. What do I do? Any help is appreciated. Thanks so much. I love your show. Sincerely, striving to be the hostess with the mostess. Oh, striving. I think you're already in really good stead. You're doing all the good things. You're thinking about the personality types and the traveling styles, I would say, of your guests. And I think that that's really, really important. I actually think this is going to work out pretty well. I'm very confident. Your parents love to go sightseeing. His parents don't. So offer the sightseeing as an option, but don't say this is what we're doing. That way his parents can say, you know what, we'll we'll stay home on this one. No worries. Love to catch up on a nap or read a book or something like that. And be prepared to feel confident in inviting them to do that too. Say, you know, there's plenty of food here. We could bring you back something from lunch if you'd like. You know, any of those things are good offers just to make them feel very comfortable about staying at home while you might be away. Now, it might be that you might go with your parents and he, your husband might stay home with his parents, something like that. You guys might get some kind of uh, old school family time together, which can often be cherished. Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. No, <laughs> He's shaking absolutely his not. Head. He's like, no, you're not wrong. Just keep going. <laughs> I know. And I was thinking about the trip that I took with uh, to visit Pooja and her family yeah. recently that Pooja's sister had set up where she ahead of time sort of touched base with people about the different styles of people who would all be sharing this house for a weekend. And what they'd like to do, how they like to operate. She started to sort of prime all of the guests to be prepared for all of the different kinds of options that you're putting on the table. I love it. The other thing is you were worried about too many meals out. So this is usually a course of a four, sometimes five day visit, depending on on people's vacation schedules and when they leave during the weekend. And I think that over that course of time, you mentioned that you might eat out once or twice just already. I would say that that's actually pretty good in and of itself for a few days. I don't think you should worry too much. You might try to do something like rather than just depending on the leftovers all week. Some people love that. They think this is the weekend. I just get to eat turkey and gravy and cranberry and stuffing and green beans and everything all weekend long. And I love it. And other people go, God, that meal lasts forever. It's so many days long. I'm not a fan. So I would say have some options that are other things. Maybe it's a lasagna that you make and freeze, you know, the week before for something like that as just an option to pull out. Maybe it won't be breaking the bank. It'll also still be something that if you're making it ahead of time, you don't have to worry about then preparing two big meals in the same week. I'm thinking things like that. I hope that gets your brain going on some ideas. I really like that suggestion of that think ahead, prepare something ahead of time, just tuck it in the refrigerator or freezer, have it ready to go. I was also thinking about this one that oftentimes house guests or visitors will um, come ready to host for a meal themselves. They, they'll want to take everybody out. So um, I wouldn't count on it, but I wouldn't be surprised if over the course of the weekend you've got two Sets bigger parents, family yeah. <laughs> meals out that um that are, that are likely to be the guests hosting. I think that makes perfect sense. And you just, you never know when, I love the fact that you said don't count on it, but be prepared to possibly accept it if you would, if you would like to accept someone treating you to a meal for over the course of the weekend. Striving, you are in really good company here. Emily Post herself, in her chapter on entertaining and dining, spends more time talking about the personalities of guests and who to set next to whom than she does which fork is the fork that you should use at a dinner party. So you really are already showing your chops as the hostess with the mostess, and we wish you the best this holiday. 
Our next question is titled, Sorry, I Snore. Lizzie and Dan, please help. First, I love your podcast. I found it weeks ago and started at the very beginning. I'm enjoying the hours of listening each week as I slowly make my way through the archives. In three weeks, I'm going to a leadership conference with several people from my college and sharing a room for four nights with some of the other girls. But I have a terrible problem. I snore and loudly. Um, There's a frowny face after that, just so you know. Most of the girls I'll be traveling with are traditional college age, young 20s, and I'm a mother with two small children, educating myself to provide a better life. Basically, even though I'm not overweight, my body is a little softer and fleshier than theirs, and our different phases in life make my snoring awkward for anyone I share a room with. What do I do? Do I tell the girls I'll be rooming with ahead of time that I snore? Do I buy earplugs for them and tell the girls once we're at the hotel and I can hand out the earplugs? Do I tell them they should wake me if I'm snoring too loudly for them to sleep? Do I tell them in person, text, email? Rooming by myself is unfortunately not an option. It's school policy. So how do I prepare myself and my temporary hotel mates for this potential problem? Thank you for giving me somewhere to turn with my embarrassing issue. Sincerely, scared to sleep. Oh, scared to sleep. I know that made that's like tender on the heart. I know I can feel your your genuine concern here, and I I I want to tell you not to worry at all, but I also want to honor the self awareness that that this question shows. And if you're really aware that you snore, as you say, exclamation point, I wouldn't call that a terrible problem. I would call that a, a minor problem, but it is a good level of self awareness that you know that this happens even while you're sleeping and that you would be thinking about other people and how this might impact or affect them is kind and it's considerate. Especially when you're dealing with a visit like this where you you might be sleeping with, um, sharing a room with a couple other people and it's not just for one night. Most people can handle one night of not a great night of sleep, but this is four nights together. So I think she's really being very considerate to think about how this is going to affect I really want to key on the 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 way you asked your final question. You said, how do I prepare myself and my temporary hotel mates for this potential problem? And I, I want to focus on both the words potential and problem, because while it is a problem, it's also just a potential problem. I don't think you need to raise it on the level of seriousness or concern that would make it maybe something that would end the trip or something that's going to be impossible to deal with. I think it's worth raising, but you don't want to project that worry and and end up making the situation worse by overemphasizing it. So I definitely would raise it, but thinking about how you raise it and um, the, the best way to do that is worthwhile. I do think you want to do it in person. I think that with personal issues like this, if at all possible, it's so much easier to mention it um, casually to keep that light tone, to keep the smile on your face, to exhibit the confidence and self-awareness when you bring it up that's going to let other people talk to you honestly about it and not feel like it's going to be such a big problem that it's going to be hard to deal with. Um, having a couple solutions is always a really good idea whenever you're raising a potential problem. And I hear some of those solutions in your question already. I think it's a good idea to offer to maybe bring those earplugs for people. And remember that wax earplugs and the foam kind are both good options. Some people like those wax. They actually block more sound, just so you know. But some people don't like how they form to the ears. So it's like giving both options at least shows a little consideration there. 
just mentioning that alone shows that you're really thinking about ways to fix the problem as well as bringing the problem up. I like the idea of maybe offering to rotate around, to not be with the same people all the time if it's going to be problematic. Lizzie mentioned that it's a four-night stay, and I think it's worth thinking about that as well. You know, another thing, even before any of those suggestions, is if there's another snorer in the group, find the other snorer and y'all yes. room together. I don't want to say, I mean, I don't want to say that like, oh, because you're both loud sleepers, it'll, you know, cancel each other out, or at least you'll be sympathetic. But what it might do is it, it at least is someone who gets it and they understand and that might be the best way to go if you're able to choose your room assignments which we don't know if our our listener is going to be able to do and it might not even be another snorer I fall asleep very easily. I can yeah. sleep through anything. It does not matter to me. Really, it doesn't. And other people know they're sensitive light sleepers. Like and me. Yeah. just a little distraction will keep them up tossing and turning all night long. And it might just be as simple as identifying who the heavy sleeper is in the group, and that's going to be your roommate or bunkmate. A final thought that I want to leave you with is that while this maybe is a potential problem, it's not that big a deal in that it could happen to anybody for all kinds of reasons. Some people grind their teeth. Some people just breathe loudly when they sleep. Some people toss and turn all night. It doesn't necessarily have to be your snoring, but one of the... One of the challenges and delights in life is figuring out other people, how we get along with them, and sharing living space with someone is a place where you get to know a little bit more about them. <laughs> and um, a trip like this is is an opportunity to grow and build your leadership skills, but also get to know some of the people that you go to school with a little bit better. And I hope that by the end of this trip, you've had a chance to do that. Scared to sleep. I hope this gives you the confidence to just bring up the topic of snoring. Try to find those people that might be the better people to be rooming with based on the fact that you snore and have the confidence that at the end of the day, you guys are there for the leadership conference and that's going to be the focus. And it's going to be a great chance for you to bond with these other schoolmates and have a great time, I think. Just try not to over worry about it. I think that's that's our big message is that at the end of the day, People just have to deal with these kinds of things. And that will definitely, I think, take a little ease off your mind. But you're also going to do all those wonderful proactive things we talked about to ensure you're being as considerate about this as possible. Best of luck and have a great time on the trip. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. 
you'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories. Some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. This next question is called Skipping Out. Dear Lizzie and Dan, as a longtime listener of your podcast, I thought I should write in with an etiquette issue that happened at a family get-together. One day, last summer, my wife's family gathered at her brother's house for a family birthday celebration for his wife. As I enjoyed the pleasure of their company, I was somewhat dismayed when my brother-in-law demanded that the entire family sit down and watch a two-and-a-half-hour movie. As my wife and I had already seen it, we politely declined and chose to sit in their backyard and enjoy the beautiful summer day. I should say that the weather was perfect that day for any kind of outdoor activity. My brother-in-law put on the DVD and everyone else went inside to watch this movie. After 30 minutes or so, I informed my wife that I was going to go home and return in two hours as I had a few things to do at home. We live a short five-minute walk away. Two hours later, I returned on time and was not missed by anyone else watching the movie. However, when my wife and I returned home after the birthday party, she informed me that I had exhibited bad, boorish behavior by leaving. I countered that her brother should not have put the movie on, as quality family time is precious and not to be wasted, as we only get together for only a few times during the year and we should enjoy each other's company when we can. Sitting in silence watching a movie with eight other relatives is not my idea of quality family time. Was I right in leaving the party for two hours and then returning later unmissed? And did my brother-in-law commit a major faux pas by insisting all of the family watch a movie during a family get-together? Or did we both err in our judgment? Your guidance in this regard is needed to put closure to this issue. Thank you. T in Toronto. Oh, T in Toronto. I have a feeling that you might find yourself the recipient of a split answer here. I, I am of two minds, but I think I'm going to represent one of them a bit more in this conversation. On the one hand, I get what you mean. I do. That having a two and a half hour long movie that you've already seen as the entertainment at a party you're attending when you would like to talk to other relatives. Now, these relatives live five minutes away, so I'm guessing there are plenty of opportunities for you to actually talk to them multiple times a year and not just the couple. But it's the other six relatives that I think you're referring to when you say that you don't get to see them very often and you were looking forward to spending some time with them. My assumption, and that's an assumption, is that the party wasn't just the two and a half hours of the movie, but that there was time afterwards to gather. So I'm assuming you got some kind of time to talk to them and it wasn't just movie on, movie off, everybody out. Um, so I want to be fair to your host and say that you probably did have some time to interact with these folks. But I don't love the idea of, of putting on a two and a half hour movie for a party. However, it was the host's party to throw, not yours. And you as a guest agreed to come to this party and participate in whatever the party was going to be. Um, I'm sorry that it wasn't 
the thing that you would have chosen to do with all these people here, but you're not the host. And I think when you agree to go to a party, you agree to to go and follow your host's lead. And not all people are great hosts. And sometimes we love them and appreciate them even when they aren't great hosts. But I don't think you were right to have left the party. I think that that was a little bit inconsiderate to your host. And I can just as easily say, I don't think your host threw the most considerate party. But I I don't think you getting up and leaving was probably the right thing to do. Clearly, it was upsetting for your wife, who might have enjoyed sitting on that back porch with you during the movie and catching up and having a quiet minute, not at your own home together. Um, I, at the same time, value the fact that you went and did some things and took, you know, took care of things, didn't waste the time. But I don't think leaving the party was the right thing to do. While I say that, I also say, like, I think about the kids in my life that I talk to about doing things that, like, being a good guest. And when they go to Jimmy's birthday party, participating, even if you don't love Capture the Flag or you don't love the, the, I don't know, scavenger hunt or whatever it is that's going on, you say, come on, play, have a good time, like, enjoy it because it'll, it'll help make others happy. And sometimes we do that. I'm not saying you have to walk all over. This is where I feel like sometimes we get a lot of feedback of like, oh, you shouldn't be made to sit through something boring. And this it's a perspective. Don't get me wrong. I get that perspective. But I tend to fall on the line of, you know, not everything in life is going to be exactly what you want it to be. And how can you be polite and considerate to the people who you're interacting with in that moment and getting up and leaving? I don't think that's what I would recommend for a kid. Don't think it's what I would recommend for you. So I will play the the devil's advocate please, please. <laughs> on, the, on the other side of the equation, but I'll start off by acknowledging I, I, I do like that approach, thinking about what advice you would give a five year old um, to really simplify the whole equation. And I, I, I like that analogy. I like that thinking. And it makes me sort of contemplate on the fact that there are movies that I've seen more than one time. And sometimes <laughs> sometimes watching a movie with other people can be a social experience. It's about sharing the common experience of watching that movie together, of sharing that story, that story time. Yeah. Um, another way to think about movie watching in groups and that, that there might be some benefit from that, from participating in that shared experience, even if you know how the story turns out. Um, I'm going to play the the, the it, other it, side of it. the equation, though, because I, I also didn't feel like this particular behavior would be that offensive to a host. That in the course of a family gathering where it's a pretty close affair and as you suggest, there's probably over the course of a day a number of things happening. Maybe there's a meal that's shared and during some downtime in the afternoon in this particular affair or party, it was a movie, but sometimes it's a sports game event, or yeah. event or a card game or a board game, and some people don't like card games or board games. I think that that, that, that kid's birthday party analogy is good. And just because you said you're going to come to a party doesn't mean that you have to do everything that happens, things that you don't like, particularly where people know each other better and you're with each other all day. I think that there's room for that uncle who always takes a nap to go take a nap in the <laughs> middle of the afternoon or the person who lives nearby to go home and take care of a chore or an errand. But, but but he left the actual party premise. I mean, the nap guy goes upstairs. He's at least still in the house. Or if they were on the porch, they were at least still at the party. If you're not participating in the game, you're maybe watching and cheering people on or going and having a conversation with someone else somewhere. He left. It's a different degree of checking out. I, I, I understand that. And the, the, the de- <laughs> there's even a certain degree of checking out to not joining everyone in the room, but going and sitting outside. But when you yes. then, and I understand this, remove yourself from the premise, you remove the possibility. 
possibility that someone else might make that choice and also join you outside at that table or opportunities for the party to develop and evolve in different ways if your host did make a choice that wasn't great for everyone and you could start to play a really good guest in that host guest dance of also starting to carve out some territory for people that maybe have seen it before aren't as interested in watching a movie on a beautiful day. I like that idea of that by remaining on the premise, you give the chance for other people that maybe weren't as interested in this and you're not trying to steal things away from your host. And it's not technically your obligation to do this. I want to make that clear. But I do like the idea that, you know, maybe someone who's also seen the movie before could watch a little bit of it and then come out and talk with you for a little bit or just there's a little bit more there. And and, and wife was left alone then just at the party, not watching the movie. So I feel like I'm starting to agree with you too much here. And I want to continue to, yeah, to, yeah. to, to stake challenge, out that other challenge. territory and say that in that game of shades and degrees yeah. among families, I don't think there's anything terribly wrong with somebody going home and raking leaves or something just during a time when everyone's not engaged and not interacting. I don't think that the host necessarily is going to find that offensive or bothersome. What I do want to key in in this question, though, is that um, our writer's wife found that bothersome and enough so that she raised it afterwards and described the behavior as boorish. And this part of the question, I think that we could probably have some agreement about, which is that if you've gone to a party with someone and they feel abandoned by you when you leave, when you're not supporting them in their attendance, that there's definitely an etiquette question there that to me is less shaded. There are less degrees to it. And in Toronto, if your wife found this behavior upsetting or bothersome, that it would be a good idea to just check in with her. And you can always offer an apology that you're sorry you didn't mean to to treat her that way, yeah. that you didn't want her to feel abandoned, that you didn't think it was a problem for the larger affair, but that if, if it was problematic for her, you can appreciate that and understand that and that you certainly would try to do better in the future. Oh, I couldn't have said that better. Tea in Toronto, we hope that at least gives you two different perspectives. And hopefully the next family gathering is something that everyone can participate in and really enjoy together. But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor. Here, let's try another trick. Our next question is actually a pretty loaded question. It's it's a heavy one, and it, it hits a little bit of home only because it also deals with the family business. We've titled the question, Family Business, Family Gatherings. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have a question about family businesses and family drama. My husband and I are business partners with some of his family. A few months ago, we discovered a family member slash part owner had embezzled over $100,000. We and the other owners went through the long and insanely expensive process to legally remove this person from the business. We decided not to file criminal charges and thought it would be better for all involved if he simply moved on to something else and the business continued without him. That seemed like a good plan, but we failed to consider the inquiring minds of other family members and friends. I have no problem making polite conversation with acquaintances and skipping over this topic, but it's become difficult as more and more people who are close to us have realized that he's no longer in the business. The business was put in a really terrible position because of his actions, and it's been a difficult year for the remaining owners. It's not something that we can continue to hide or cover. Sometimes I find myself answering direct questions from my close friends in a way that protects his reputation rather than allows me to gain some helpful perspective about this cruddy situation. 
And don't even get me started on what we are supposed to say at Thanksgiving dinner when predictable Aunt Ethel asks us at the dinner table how business is going. How do we navigate this change? Signed, Family Drama Stinks. Oh, Family Drama, I am so sympathetic with your situation. Um, As you know, the people that you submitted this question to are part of a family business that's been in existence for five generations. And family business, while being an absolute delight, certainly has its own special set of challenges as well. And um, take heart, take comfort. As I'm sure you know, you are in good company. Some ridiculously large percentage of the economy of this country is involved in family businesses. So um, this is this is not so unusual and you don't need to feel like um, like you're the only ones who've experienced this this difficulty or this problem of figuring out how to navigate family and business relationships. And I want to empower you to feel really comfortable keeping those spheres separate and saying to people, you know, I really don't that's a business issue. I really don't feel comfortable talking about it or you know, that has to do with business. I really want to keep the focus on the family this holiday. And you can leave it at that and you can be really firm and really concrete about setting up and establishing those boundaries. You don't have to talk about anything you don't want to talk about. And when we talk about those three tiers of a conversation that we've mentioned previously um, on this show, the tier one is that safe territory, whether sports, celebrities, and entertainment. Tier two is potentially controversial, religion, politics, dating, or your love life. Tier three, family and finance. So intimate. And this particular conversation deals with both. It deals with people's financial situations and their familial relationships. And those conversations need to be handled with such care and such tact. It really is appropriate and shows good discretion to not engage in that discussion at an inappropriate time. And Around a family dinner table at Thanksgiving might be a time that's just not appropriate to have that discussion. It's perfectly okay to tell Aunt Ethel that you'd really rather not talk about that right now, but that the turkey is delicious and you're really excited that everybody could be together to share in the meal. I think you also want to make sure that that you as a group who are still involved in the business um, also know legally what you can and can't discuss. Um, I just think that's an important thing when we are dealing with the dismissal of someone and and some unfortunate circumstances for how it came about. You do just need to protect yourself. And it's really hard sometimes um, when it comes to family. I appreciate that you want to uh, gain some helpful perspective you mentioned when you're talking about talking to some close friends about it. But I think you would be wise to seek that perspective from outside counsel who's not a family member and not a friend. There are lots of people, whether it's a lawyer, a business consultant, uh, whomever it is, a finance person, board of directors, somebody... Talk to them about it. Let those be your confidants when it comes to this, not the family who love this individual, want to support this individual or want to support you and then might say things they might regret later about the individual in question. I think it's just really important that you try to protect the family. And we know from family business that things get muddled so very quickly. And there are these moments in family business where you all of a sudden go, whoa, whoa. This is one where we have to separate really clearly family and business. And to Aunt Ethel, you just simply say, you know, Aunt Ethel, we're moving right along. But I really business is something we'd rather not talk about at Thanksgiving this year. 
Lizzie's idea is something that you'll hear from family business consultants, really that that cultivating um, an advisor, a mentor, someone you can turn to for advice in difficult times who's outside of the family and friend circle can be just so, so, so helpful. And, and that really might be a good route to go in this situation to help you do that processing that clearly you're, you're, you're wanting to do. Because as we all know, consideration, respect, and honesty being fundamental tenets for good etiquette, honesty is also important. And being honest with yourself, not trying to protect somebody else and and representing them in a way that you don't feel uh, has integrity for you is, is an important part of figuring out how you're going to proceed and how you're going to talk about this. And you can't always not talk about it. As you, as you point out here, there are going to be times where for you and your sake and your processing, you need to. And it's important to figure out how you can do that well and who you can do that well with. I had a final bullet note on this question, and I definitely included it with a great big question mark on it because it's a, I, I would ask this question back to you. And I would say, depending on how this relationship ended and what the, the conditions exactly were, you might be able to ask this person what they would like you to say when people ask this. And Well, together what you could say, I would think, because it's. I, th- I think both parties kind of have that. Sure, they've done the wrong thing, but I think it's like come up with something together that works for both of you. And maybe that's going to work, maybe it's not. If he's wanting you to say something that doesn't fully acknowledge the extent of the dishonesty, the corruption, the embezzlement, <laughs> then by all means, you do not have to help with a cover story. But if there's something that you can both say and agree to say that both parties can be happy with, it might be really nice to get that agreement made explicitly. And then there's a united front that kind of everybody's hearing. And and that is also a way that people stop asking questions, too. When both parties are saying the same line of, you know, we had to part ways and we're both trying to move forward on our own now. If that's the only line that you're hearing from anybody, boy, people stop asking questions real quick. And from our master of sample scripts, that is about as simple a sample script as I could think to offer for a way to explain this kind of a situation without getting into the details and that doesn't assign fault or blame to either side. Family drama, we hope that this helps. I just want to offer our condolences to you because this is a tough time. And I'm really sorry that your family and your family business have to go through this. So from one family business to another, we just want to offer you our support and our best wishes that moving forward, both your family and your business can have real successful relationships together. Our next question is titled Cash Bar for a Memorial Service. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. First, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Been listening since episode one. Thank you. We lost my grandmother recently. She lived a long and very full life. 94 years exclamation point. And many people have reached out to my family to express their wish to be at the memorial service. We're not having a funeral, but instead are planning a remembrance gathering in about a month. It will be open to anyone who wants to come. And we honestly aren't sure how many people to expect. The number we're working with is 100, but I wouldn't be surprised if we had more people than that show up. Our plan is to have simple hors d'oeuvres provided by a caterer and a limited bar. My grandmother fully believed in the simple pleasure of a good drink. My question is this. We are discussing having a cash bar, not an open bar. Is this tacky? How should we make that clear to people planning to join us to celebrate my grandmother's life? Cost is a concern for the family, especially where we don't know how many people to anticipate and we can't expect RSVPs. These are the types of things we would have consulted her about. I always considered her a traditionalist but never a stickler. She wanted everyone to have a good time. 
I appreciate any guidance you can provide, and please feel free to use my question for the podcast if you would like. I've been grateful for the perspective your advice has provided in the past, even when it wasn't specific to my situation. Thank you. Chelsea. Chelsea, I want to start off by offering our sympathies and condolences to you. It sounds like your grandmother was a really important and valued part of your family, as grandmothers tend to be. And uh, we're I re- love this traditionalist, but not a stickler. I know. It's like perfect. I mean, she sounds like a great grandmother. So um, we want to wish you well in celebrating her life. That being said, um, you asked a really specific question, and we actually haven't received this question before. And uh, my inclination is to say that, no, it's not appropriate to have a cash bar at a memorial service, even though this sounds like it's going to be an upbeat um, service. This isn't a funeral, as you said. It's a memorial. Um, often they have a lighter tone. Um, people are, are more jovial, but you're still dealing with grieving and bereavement. And I think it's important especially with that as kind of an overarching component of this of, of this gathering um, to not then say, by the way, bring cash so that you can buy any drinks you might like. There's no good way to word cash bar on an invitation. It immediately removes the focus from being on. We want to invite you to come join us in this celebration of our grandmother's life and immediately turns the focus to you're going to need to bring cash if you want to have a cocktail. And that's not the sentiment you want to be creating here. My suggestion, because you already mentioned that you were looking at doing a limited bar and that that was still looking like it was it was not going to fit the budget. Do one signature cocktail drink. Maybe it's grandma's favorite drink, but do one, maybe two or do just one cocktail with uh, an offering of beer or an offering of wine. Whatever you can do to work the budget that way. You also don't have to serve alcohol. I want to make that really clear. You do not have to serve alcohol would be perfectly appropriate not to have alcohol. Alcohol. I get the sense from the question that grandma was a fan of a good drink and you'd like to honor her that way. So I, my vote would be to pick one cocktail to make. You don't have to use the most expensive vodka or the most expensive whiskey or bourbon to make it happen. You could use something that fits your budget, but that would be kind of a nod to grandma in this way without breaking the bank. This is a definitely a different version of this question. Usually we hear this about weddings. Yeah. And we, we've gotten pretty used to thinking about it in the context of weddings where oftentimes the, the thinking is similar to the kind of thinking that you've got where you just you, you, you want to do this, you want to make it available for people, but you also have some concerns about the cost. Weddings are large affairs here because you can't necessarily know exactly how many people are going to reply that – it's hard to anticipate what that cost might be, but I think you can, you can just do the best you can. You can make that estimate based on what you're hearing, what you expect, and, and you do the best you can with the parameters that you're given. And I don't think anybody is going to be upset if this memorial service ends up being surprisingly attended by three, four, five hundred people and the bar that you've set up doesn't last for the whole course of the event. Well, that's another really good point. No, I mean, when when the bar runs out, the bar runs out and that's just it. And it, I, I think you don't have to worry about that quite so much as long as the people that got there on time and kind of the first first round of crowd really has a good a good shot at accessing it. I think, you know, then you're you're going to be fine. I wouldn't worry about people beyond that. Um, Clearly, it would be a big surprise if you're planning on 100 and 300 showed up. I don't think anyone would look at you as a bad host for not knowing that that would happen. Chelsea, we hope that helps. But even more than that, we really hope that the service goes off without a hitch and that it provides an opportunity for everyone to remember this grandmother who clearly you love so much. 
you for your questions. Please, please, please send us updates, comments, and don't forget your salutes to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message at 802-866-0860 or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Being agreeable, saying and doing things in a pleasant way, that's easy enough. And it does make a difference all day long. Well, we've reached that favorite part of the show where we get to hear your feedback. Today, our producer Chris Roberts is here. And as always, he's been listening to what you have to say this week. And he's going to share some of that with us. Hi, Chris. Well, hello, Dan and Lizzie. We've got a nice cross-section of opinion in terms of the feedback this week. People are reacting, first of all, to that deep dive you both did on email etiquette in episode 109. How formal is too formal in an email? Should there be greetings, closings, small talk, thank yous, or is all that a waste of the reader's time? A listener, Anna, is coming down very strongly in favor of taking what she calls a small step beyond sharing only the most essential information. And Anna writes, You wouldn't walk into somebody's office and say, I need this task completed by 2 p.m. and walk away. I hope. You'd start with, hey, how's it going? And close with, thanks so much, this is a huge help, or something like that. You'd treat them like a person and not just bark out orders. Maybe it's helpful to think of more casual business email communication as a stand-in, not for a formal written letter, but for a verbal conversation, and include the same courtesies and kindnesses you'd include on a phone call or in-person chat. Yes, Anna writes, we live in a fast-paced business culture, but I think that relationship building is crucial to success in business and makes work much more enjoyable and fulfilling. And keeping our emails a little more personable and a little less cold goes a long way in this department. Anna. And I bet I know two people on the mic right now who will find some level of agreement with that. Chris, <laughs> you stole my fire. I was going to say I could not agree anymore. I love that analogy. It's phenomenal. I third the motion. That's three of us agreeing. I No, I love. I like the analogy, too. And I think it's, I mean, obviously, as Dan had mentioned in the actual uh, segment, in episode 109 that, you know, emails start off as it's the E version of a letter. And that's why we have an address and a closing. And we take the time to do this because we're taking the time to write a letter. And I like the idea that in kind of back and forth, yes, absolutely. You can get very quick and very stark with your emailing. Dan and I do it to each other all the time, but it's because there's a trust and a familiarity um, and a confidence in doing so. And we don't need to have that conversation happening around us because we do that all the time, day in and day out. But with other people that we email with, Chris Roberts being one of them, you know, we always like to have that, hey, how's it going? Or had this thought for you on a Monday or something like that, just to ease our way in because we haven't had that back and forth in person going on. You haven't had the morning hello. So when you pass each other's desk, you haven't already checked that box. So time to check it before you move on with that communication. Well, I'm not surprised you feel that way. In episode 107, you both tackled the question from a woman whose future father-in-law was inviting guests to her wedding without her and her fiancé's permission or input. And that prompted a response from a listener named Jen who could really relate to what this woman was going through. My mother-in-law invited an ex-boyfriend to our wedding without asking us. And this is a man with whom we never really had any relationship 
uh, he made no particular effort to get to know us. But since it was just one more person, we decided not to fight over it. Um, and then on the day of, it turned out that he was absolutely wonderful. He used his van to help us transport flower arrangements to the wedding site. Um, and he was just so helpful. And honestly, you know, we were so happy and excited on the day that we didn't really notice, you know, individual people. And I think, you know, at your wedding, you'll be thinking about so many other things. If there's one or two guests there that maybe you wouldn't have chosen, you'll barely notice. So uh, if it's possible, I'd say, you know, consider whether you could turn this into a positive. I love the positive attitude that Jen is taking with this. And it's absolutely the right way to go, especially if you hadn't known and all these people just showed up. I was a little worried with that particular question that dad might have been inviting more than just one or two people, that it was really starting to be like another table or plus of guests. And I think that might start to be something you would notice or just feel the impact of or really throw things off because, you know, again, these would have been guests you were totally unaware of except for the quick mention that did happen. But I like the idea of, you know what, roll with it because at the end of the day, you've said your vows everybody's there. That's what's important. Finally, we spent an extended feedback section a few episodes ago chatting with the girlfriend of a guy whose mom was bombarding his Facebook wall with unwanted political messages. You remember that one? And we heard from Maria, who has a tip for the boyfriend of Elise, the woman we spoke with. And Maria writes, Facebook has a tool that might be helpful in regulating her posts on his timeline. Go to settings, click timeline and tagging, settings in Facebook, that is. This allows you to review posts you are tagged in before they are added to your wall. Might not be an option for the original situation if his mom is not tagging him in her posts, Maria writes, but it's worth a shot. I've enabled this on my timeline, Maria says, and I get an email each time someone tags me in a post. That person's post is still available on their wall, but does not show up on my wall unless I approve it. Love the podcast. I listen to it on my walk home from work. Keep up the good work. Sincerely, Maria. And you got to love the tools that help you better present to the world on Facebook. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you, Maria, for sharing that particular tip with us and for getting it to us so quickly so it still might be of use before the end of this election season. Good manners again, and they put you in a good light. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we take a deeper dive into a particular point of etiquette and explore a little bit beyond our usual Q&A answers. And today's Postscript, we're going to look at sympathy notes and best practices and why they still matter. Absolutely. Um, Never a fun topic to have to talk about. Always a little somber. But it is one of those times in life where you just aren't going to experience writing or receiving condolence notes or sympathy notes unless something upsetting has happened. And we thought it would be good to just talk about what is the procedure, because a lot of people don't come across this until certain points in their life where it does seem that all of a sudden you're kind of get thrown into experiencing 
condolence notes and how to how to deal with them. And we know this is one of the the topic areas that people turn to Emily Post to the um, with the most frequency. If you look at searches that lead people to our website and searches people make once they land on the Emily Post website, right after weddings and wedding etiquette is funeral, funeral etiquette, and sympathy notes. So we thought we would address those sympathy notes and talk about some best practices and how to do them. Sympathy notes or condolence notes are notes that you would write when a friend or family member either experienced a loss or is going through a really difficult time. Typically, it is involved with with someone who has just lost a friend or family member. A lot of people ask when to send. And the truth is, as soon as possible, as soon as you find out the news is usually when you should send a note. It's never too late. Dan's mother, Cindy Post-Senning, and our other aunt, Peggy Post, had this lovely, charming story about when they first started doing book tour for their children's books. And they would go to all these schools. And sure enough, they, they ask, you know, they say, does anybody have any etiquette questions after they read a story and explain a little bit about what etiquette is? And they're thinking no little kid is going to stand up with an etiquette question or it'll be something like, I don't like lima beans, you know. This little kid raises his hand and they say yes. And he stands up and he says, my friend lost his father last year and I never told him I was sorry. Is that something I could do? I mean, seven-year-old child loaded question um, and and so sweet and sympathetic and kind. And of course, the answer is, by all means, just tell your friend, you know, I didn't know what to say when you lost your dad last year. And I just want you to know I'm real sorry that that happened. And I hope you're doing well now. And I mean, they probably play together and have had tons of conversations, but it's completely appropriate to extend your sympathies or your wishes even quite a long way beyond the time that the passing occurred. So please, please never think it's too late to send one of these cards. In terms of what to say. You want to express your sympathies. Um, Something like, Dear Karen, I was very sad to hear of Ron's passing. He was such a friendly and gracious man and always a delight to run into. I will remember fondly the twinkle in his eye when he smiled. Our thoughts are with you and the rest of your family and friends at this time. Our deepest sympathy, Leslie and Jonathan. Something that lets the person know that you're thinking of them, that you're saddened by the news, that you wish them well. It's really important to feel confident expressing those things. And and I encourage anyone who, who has had a friend lose someone to reach out. I can't tell you how amazing it was when we lost our grandparents. Um, last year, I lost a grandparent and an aunt. And all the wishes of well that came, they really do help. They help the grieving process. So please consider sending a note like this as actually an act of kindness. That's what to say. So there's also what not to say. It is amazing. And as we've spoken about in lots of different areas on this show, the things people think are helpful things to say that really come across as hurtful or difficult or challenging. It's for the best. Nobody wants to hear that losing their loved one was for the best, even if the person had been in a lot of pain and, and or, you know, and, and death is a relief. It doesn't feel like that to the person who's living or it might. And you just don't know that. So you don't want to try to make it sound like this is a good thing that the person passed. You don't want to say 
Call me if I can do anything. That puts such a load on the person who's grieving to have to reach out to think of something that might work. Instead, you would want to say something specific. I would love to cook dinner and drop it off for you on Tuesday night. Would that be a good night for me to do that? Um, Something specific the person can respond to, and then they don't have to do anything beyond that. Or, you know, I'd love to offer babysitting if that would be helpful. Um, I, you know, I could take the dog for a walk if it's a busy day and, you know, you're having trouble getting back to the house. Offering specifics is really good. You really don't want to say large things like it's God's will. That's a really hard thing to hear. Or now you'll have to be the man of the house. That's another one that often young young men are told. And that's a lot of pressure to think of and take on, especially as a young person in a family experiencing grief. As, as much as possible, you really want to keep the focus on your expression of sympathy for the person who's passed. That That's where you want to keep the the focus of this message, because that's what it's about. And speaking of focus, one of the last things that we typically hear people say that does not get a good reaction is now you can focus on your lives again. So when you've been caring for someone who's who's ill or really at the end of their life and there's been a lot of care um, that the family has had to step in and do. Sure, it's a big distraction, but often it's something people really want to do. It helps the grieving process afterwards to have gone through that level of care beforehand. And death might be a relief, but it this is not the way you want to express that. Um, so try to avoid phrases like all of these. One of the bigger questions that we get is how to respond. And it really is important to respond to each sympathy card or note or donation or flowers or whatever it is that you receive. So if you're the person who's gotten these notes of sympathy, there is a a social obligation that you reply. Yes, absolutely. And here's the the good news is that it actually really does help the grieving process often to reply. Um, Like we said, it helps to hear all these wonderful things. I remember my cousin talking about when he lost his mother and how, you know, I I kept saying, are are you overwhelmed? Is it too much, like too many people? And he and I are very close, so this was an appropriate conversation. But he kept saying, no, it, it just makes me feel like she is around and with everyone right now because I'm hearing about how she affected all these other people. And it, it's just encouraging and wonderful. It makes me feel like my mom's not gone. Writing the acknowledgments of the sympathies can often have that effect as well. It makes you feel like the impact of the person you've lost, that's not lost. And that's a really wonderful, wonderful thing to experience when you've lost somebody. But you do need to respond to each note. Sometimes these notes will say no acknowledgement necessary. And that's your, your, your free card. That means you don't have to respond. The person understands it's a difficult time. Not every sympathy note has to include that, just so you know. You're not doing putting a burden on the other person, like we said, it's helpful to the grieving process to write these replies. The replies do not have to be from the the bereaved. If it's a particularly difficult loss, um, let's say, you know, you've lost your father and mom is really having a hard time with it. It's okay for you to step in and write these responses on mom's behalf. And that might look something like, you know, dear Gabe, on behalf of my mother, Joan Russell, I'd like to extend gratitude for your condolence note. During difficult times, it's so encouraging and comforting to see so many friends and family reaching out with kind words and fond memories of my father. 
knowing that you'll remember him and his sense of humor is a comfort during this time. Sincerely, Jennifer. Something like that will convey that the, that the note's been received. That's the other thing is these responses allow the person who extended the sympathy note to know that it was actually received. And, and that, I think, is an important part for of, of the process for them, the person extending those sympathies. Those are the different kind of ins and outs of sympathy notes and acknowledgments and, and kind of how to handle your interactions during a, a really difficult time for friends and family members. Really, this isn't a, a, a nitpicky etiquette thing. This isn't something that we're we're digging up out of the 22 edition of a dusty volume of etiquette. This is a, a tradition that continues to matter to people today. And it matters because it really provides an opportunity for some, some really quality human interaction at a time that can be difficult. Everywhere you go, your manners are with you, and they leave their mark. They help you feel sure of yourself, too, and they make an impression on people, on everyone you meet. It's time to pay tribute to some awesome etiquette going on in the world out there. We love to hear your etiquette salutes from near and far, and this particular salute from a listener named Catherine comes all the way from Paris, France. And we might also add that it's it's actually quite an ambitious, it's a large, it's a big, the scope is broad for this salute. I dig it. Hi there, Lizzie and Dan and producer Chris. Um, I wanted to get in touch to say thank you uh, for your fabulous show. I was just on a trip to California with my mum. We spent two weeks there. We had a car and we drove around a lot. And uh, when we were in the car, I started playing your podcast for my mum and me to listen to. And we loved it so much. You were such great company. And uh, my mum actually started saying, can we have some Lizzie and Dan every single time we got into the car? So you were really right there with us. And it was fantastic. Fantastic. My second thank you and etiquette salute is to the people of California. We really had such a great trip above and beyond our expectations of what we know about American service culture. We had Airbnb hosts who had really thoughtful touches in our, our accommodation, people who we just mentioned that we were going to visit a place and they gave us excellent tips on routes to take, routes to avoid, places to eat. Uh, my mum has some food restrictions and restaurants were just great and looking for really nice thoughtful solutions for her without making her feel like she was a problem. I could just keep going on and on and on. I won't. We just generally had a great time. Everybody seemed to be so thoughtful and it really was the icing on the cake of a fantastic holiday. So from me and my mum from Paris, thank you so much to all the people of California. I absolutely I love that salute. Thank you. I'm delighted. I know. I'm I'm a I'm thrilled that you listened to us <laughs> on your car ride and that your mom enjoyed the show too. But I'm also just having just been to California and had pretty much the exact same experience where strangers got us to some of the best, most difficult places to actually access or know about. I mean, it just I had the same experience and I, I couldn't say it better myself. Thank you, California. And I am so glad that when you were visiting the States, this was your experience here. 
I'm sitting here with a grin from ear to ear on my face. You grow up in the States familiar with the concept of the ugly American, and it's really nice to be disabused of that notion just a little bit and to be reminded that Americans can be polite, gracious, welcoming hosts as well. So thank you for reminding us about that for America, but particularly for the wonderful state of California. We really appreciate that, Catherine. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or you can leave us a message on our voicemail at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by Chris Roberts. 